Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. I am Jimmy Zabo and you're listening thanks to Sportsmate Mobile and the Footy Live app. Please download the app today. Finals are coming up, so make sure you don't miss a second of the latest news, stats and scores. And if you're a Collingwood supporter, you can go back and check out all the reasons your side cost me my tipping competition last night. Just when you thought you couldn't hate the Pies anymore, they do that to you. Um, No, I'm just kidding. We don't all hate Collingwood. Uh, we despise them, but that's good. You have to have you have to have someone you love to hate because it does add to the entertainment. And speaking of entertainment, Mike Brady's coming on for a chat. Uh, it's one day in September, so it's a perfect time for me to speak to the man whose name is synonymous with finals footy. Don't miss that chat. Uh, we'll give him a buzz straight after the round recap, and we'll also talk to Nick Guglielmino, who wants to talk to me about something that uh, he's pissed off about in his famous Nick Off segment. And then I'll ramble on about some uh, hot topics you can later abuse me about. Before we get to the round recap, these days we get bombarded with negative news, constant outrage, you know. But I reckon for once we should focus on something positive. So let's speak about Collingwood losing for the next hour. No, but last night, um, in all honesty, I had a look back at all the comments from fans and journos last year and the year before calling for Ken Hinckley's head. Uh, that he wasn't the right man to take this club forward, that he needed to get the flick, and his tactics and method, they wouldn't amount to success. He was hopeless. Get rid of him. Then I found another interview uh, from Charlie Dixon last year who said, stuff what the others say. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Hinkley is the right man for the job, and they should look at what Richmond has done by keeping on Dimmer and keeping the faith. And he was right. Boy, was he right. They finished on top of the ladder in the most challenging of seasons, and that needs to be applauded. Um, he was about to get the flick last year and the year before, and he stayed on and brought him to the top of the table. So it's a great story. Um, it's a good story when someone's completely written off and, and they hit back to prove the doubters wrong. I think it's fantastic. But does that mean that this week we'll be talking about Ken Hinckley um, and his success rather than the speculation on which players are unhappy, which players might go to different clubs and which clubs might be interested in possibly having a conversation with them? No way. As Rex Hunt said last week, I reckon there's about as much chance as Ivan Milat being in charge of the Cubs. Uh, So unfortunately, that's what we're going to have to deal with rather than the positive news this week. But I'll try and do my best. So without further ado, let's get to our wonderful round recap of round 18. Yes, Jimmy! Thursday night's clash between the Roos and Eagles wasn't completely pointless, although it was goalless in the first quarter for Simpsons men. One of his characters turned out to be a bully after quarter time, though, with Nelson picking up 22 disposals and a mark, while the Eagles' Oscar was the best picture with his three goals and six score involvements. North did jive very hard, but it wasn't enough, as they went down by 15 points. Leon can run, but he can't hide, as the criticism after Friday night's giant failure is warranted. However you try and report it, it doesn't Sam read well. Will they now be able to keep their playing list together? Connor, I don't know. The Saints don't care though as Rats Pack won the race to finals. They had nerves of Jack Steele, ball movement fit for a king and Seb played like a Ross. St Kilda by 52 points. Simon had a good win but a non-win or two cost them a final spot. They are in the hunt for a while though who kicked four goals and had 100% disposal efficiency but in the end their season was gone. They won by 19 points over the Dons who are in a huge rutting. Oh well, she'll be right. Don't know about the rest of them, though. The Dusty settled on Adelaide Oval on Saturday Arvo with Martin and his work of arts doing enough to shoot down the Crows. O'Brien was Riley good, but blood was shedder with Edwards returning and handing the Tigers an eight-goal win. Saturday night's delicious clash between the Lions and Blues was too rich for Carlton, who needed to walsh down the bitter taste of another loss. Lockie nearly had leather poisoning with 29 disposals as Chris and his men are fagin' into the distance. Another top four finish with a 17-point win. We all had small poppy syndrome as Paul's infectious joy lit up our Sundays. He kicked a couple in the farewell game while Stratton pinched the goal of his own in an emotional final term. The Suns were swallowed whole and their coach was pissed after the result as well. Ah well, they were due for a loss anyway. Hawks by nine goals. The Little Master was back for the Cats clash with the Swans but it was danger signs early. Paddy kicked three and had 14 disposals and Geelong won by a single Menegola. Six points the margin. Frio proved they didn't study English, 
with Tim kicking two goals and picking up 14 disposals. Tom Libra tore a hole through the midfield of the Dockers. We'd never seen something so wrong, but so right. The Dogs were a lot better than my puns and have made the finals despite a couple of rough, rough moments throughout the season. 30 points was the final margin. In the final game of the home and away season, Houston had no problem. The Pies couldn't rock the boat and we all found out that it's no use having big cocks if you can't score. Port had the power to win the minor premiership and the Bucks stopped with Nathan. The Pies are almost cooked. Alright, today's guest is the bard of all things Australian rules. His music is synonymous with the grand final and our great game and he's been performing every footy lover's favourite songs since the 70s. Spent the 17 years in radio with his charming character, caring conversations and hilarious humour. A true professional on and off the mic, pun intended. It's one day in September that I want to remember because I'm lucky enough to speak to the one and only Mr. Mike Brady. Welcome Mike, thanks so much for coming on for a chat. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to speak to you, mate. That was a lovely intro. Can you do it again? I can. Do- <laughs> I'll do it again for you. Uh, firstly, mate, I wanted to ask the important stuff because are we actually going to get a grand final without up there, Kazali? What is the progress of you with your bid to get up there to Queensland? What's happening? Tell us, please. Well, um, yeah, we're talking. Um, yeah? Uh, I've had that many people from different... This year it's pretty complex, you know, because yeah. the AFL up there, half the management um, in whatever you call it. Uh, I don't think it's really lockdown, is it? They're staying in some resort. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody that's going to go up there has to go into, apart from the AFL, I don't think they had to, but has to go into a two-week lockdown. Yeah. So I don't really think I'll be at the Gabba, uh. but in these ages, this age of technology, uh, there, there may be another thing, and we, we, we're having a chat, you know, okay. about it. Um, I've got a different producer this year and um, uh, different ideas and stuff, and uh, so we've had a chat, and I'm hoping that we do do it, mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, they won't announce it though until probably for another couple of weeks. Okay. If I am, and but I'm really hoping that that is the case because I think um, this year is a pretty important year to have up there. Because don't you think? Yeah, I reckon. I reckon so definitely, especially for the Victorians. I reckon, Mike, and you're you're a part of the grand final. So you reckon there might be something? You know, you doing it uh, for a live stream in at the MCG or something like that? Is that some of the talks? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's been some talk, and they've been well. I read that in the paper, by the way. Okay. I read that uh, <laughs> in a conversation between Gil McLaughlin and Neil Mitchell. And yeah. Neil had suggested that, you know, why don't I do it um, from the MCG? And Gil said, oh, that's a good idea. I'll look at it. So, good. But I actually haven't directly spoken to anyone from the, from mm-hmm. the AFL. But that's not surprising because, you know, they've got some pretty big just to fire. There's a football game there too, you know. <laughs> uh, there, there is, but I reckon um, I reckon it's pretty important to get you uh, get you a part of the grand final in um, uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, forty. It was about forty one years ago, wasn't it, when you first performed it? Was it Channel Seven who actually asked you to write it? We'll be back after a quick break. <laughs> Advertising agency, and you're right. It's 41 years ago. I was yeah. two <laughs> at the time. Yeah. No, um, but it is 41 years. And yeah, it was, it was uh, Campaign Palace, who were a very, very good creative advertising agency. Probably at that stage, the best in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, they basically asked me to write it. Uh, Ron and Lionel, the two of the creative directors. One of them was the founder, and uh, Ron was. One still is a pom, and still is a really good mate. Mm-hmm. And they did something really clever. They said they needed a football song. Did I have any ideas? Mm-hmm. They didn't try and write it. Um, a lot of people say they wrote it, 
Um, uh, I wrote in a book recently that uh, in an autobiography that was serialised in newspapers that he came up with the idea to have a song and got Lionel um, Hunt, the guy's name was, from um, Campaign Palace Writer. Yeah. And, uh, and Lionel Hunt was clever because he got me to set it to music. Well, that's actually not true. Mm. They were clever because they didn't try and write it. Yeah. Um, they didn't even have a thought of that stage. So I just said, well, what about that old expression up there? Because Aidy and Ronnie, my dear mates, still after all these years, said, oh, I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of it, he said. Yeah. And I said, oh, what is it? And I said, oh, it's an old expression from years ago. And, and he said, uh, well, I don't know what it means, but it sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's associated with football. And that's really how it came about. I just went home and wrote it. How long, how long did it take you to write that? Oh, that took a long time. That took about yeah. 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. Very good. Oh, look, I thought about it that night. Yeah. And I, I slept on it. And I used to always get up about 5 o'clock in the morning in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was one of about eight I wrote that morning, in an huh? hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And then I used to have a couriers come and I used to send them out to all the advertising agencies and I don't know what else I wrote that day. I don't remember really, mm. but um, that's how I used to work. It was it was a an interesting way of making money. Mm. <laughs> and the other two favourites, or my favourites, have become a part of Footy Language. Obviously, a one day in September, and that's what I like about football, which you co-wrote with Greg Champion. Can you give us some background yeah. on, on those two classics? Um, well, one day in September was really meant. To be a follow-up to up there because they would have a follow-up a hit that was so big. So look, it's it's grown over the years, but it wasn't a massive hit. It got into the top twenty one day in September, and um, now I think it's as popular as up there because they. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've only ever sung it once, I think, at the MCG. Um, and then another year I did one day in October and everybody yeah. hated it. Yeah, that was the 2010, <laughs> I think you did that one, for the Collingwood-St Kilda um, Grand Final, the um, the replay the next week. And if you oh, ha- I think I did, yeah. yeah. It, would, uh, would you, you wouldn't have to do that again, surely, if it was this year. Don't worry about that, it's October, it's got to be It's got to be September. Yeah, well, they're not, they haven't asked me to sing um, uh, one day in September. Hmm. But I'd like to, because I think it's... It, it does definitely resonate yeah. with the public. And that's what I like about football. Um, I didn't know Greg Champion that well, but we had a couple of shows together and we got on pretty well. And he sent me a song that he'd written and, uh, and he wanted me to produce it. And to be really honest, I didn't like it that much. It went on and on, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I did was, I didn't really write any of the words. I put the, I suppose, what is the musical hook and um, and the hook went oh, 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 um, and sort of structured it a little bit for him and uh, yeah I became the, the co-writer of another footy yeah brilliant <laughs> so, so, Paul Kelly wrote a line too oh yeah so it's great it's um, champion uh, Kelly Brady Brady nice that's a good trio <laughs> Uh, you were born in England. Obviously, you came uh, 11 years old, I think. When you were 11 years old, you came to Australia. But I remember you once said um, you, you didn't really feel Australian or accepted as an Aussie until you performed up there, Kazalian, in 1979 at the grand final. Is that is that true? Yeah, it is true. Um, I always felt, and it's not unusual for immigrants, yeah. but I always felt a bit of an outsider. Um People were terrific to me, don't get me wrong, it was, but I never really felt Australian t- through and through. I was a pom who'd come here as an immigrant and, and you know, grew up in Australia. But um, the warmth I got from the public, particularly in Victoria, when Up There Kazali came out, was just fantastic. Yeah. And I really did feel um, a, a warmth of um, acceptance, I suppose, mm. would be the word. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was a great feeling. It was a fabulous feeling. So 
I hadn't been neutralized at that stage. Naturalized, not neutralized. <laughs> <laughs> so I became a naturalized Australian yeah. because um, when Bob Hawke changed the law, and you, you know, when you came from the from the United Kingdom in those days, yeah, you're part of the British Empire, <laughs> and um, and uh, so you had to actually. And I went to England to visit the family, and I had trouble coming back in. To the country because, oh, because uh, I hadn't got uh, yeah. I hadn't been naturalised, so I had to get a temporary permit to come into the country where I'd had that stage two children and grown up, and it was a bit of a shock. So uh, I ran off and became neutralised. Mm. <laughs> how long? How long did it take to actually kind of understand that footy culture um, in Australia growing up? Oh well, I understood it very quickly, and I was yeah. fascinated by it because. Mm. I um, went to school in Port Melbourne, in Bay Street, Port Melbourne, um, and then Middle Park. I uh, left school at 14. But um, I, uh, it, was, it was pervasive. Um, I, it, soccer was big in England, you know. Yeah, yeah. My team was Crystal Palace. Oh, yeah. And I was pretty obsessed with Crystal Palace. But I'd never really seen a straight out how absolutely died in the wool they were. I mean, the first thing I got asked at school, the very first thing was, who do you back for? <laughs> I mean, talk about being an outsider. And yeah. Then, uh, you know, the first question that's always asked, who, who, who do you back for? Yeah. Um, and I never ever knew what Barrett meant. Um, it's an old word that Melbourne claims and Sydney claims because they were the barracks in St Kilda. And the people used to walk from the barracks to the footy ground at Lakeside Oval. And the same in Sydney. There was yeah. a barracks in Hyde Park. And I forget what footy ground there was there, but they would walk to the barracks. Mm -hmm. So it was a... Um, I, I, I knew... You know, I was surrounded. I played it at school. I was absolutely hopeless because I didn't want to break my fingers. <laughs> I, I, was, I was playing guitar. Um, and uh, we had a woman called Mrs. Nichols and a couple of the nuns coached us too. And yeah. the nuns used to put their footy boots on and, <laughs> and <laughs> under their habits, you know, those yeah. great big black habits and yeah, black yeah, penguins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I used to play footy on the uh, Lagoon Oval in Port Melbourne with my mates. And so I knew a bit about it. And, um, but I didn't go because football was played on Saturday. Hmm. And... Saturday was band rehearsal day. No, oh, of course. So yeah. I, when, yeah. when up there, because 80 came along, I'd only been to a quarter of one game <laughs> um, of, of the VFL. Yep. So I wasn't really an expert, but I certainly knew the dynamic and I was fascinated by it. Yeah. And I what, was fascinated how people were so obsessed with Australian rules. Yeah. And what, what possessed you to go for, for Collingwood, the, the most hated team in the VFL? <laughs> Why did you choose the Pies? Oh, well, got me in a headlock and asked me who I barred. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And uh, this other chap who's still a friend, Bob and Don, she said, oh, I just tell him Collingwood. Yeah. So I croaked out, Collingwood, Collingwood. He said, oh, you're all right. He dusted me off. Yeah. Duh. You're all right then. So um, <laughs> most of the kids there went for South Melbourne. Mm. Um, but it was either South Melbourne or Collingwood. There was nothing in between. Yeah. <laughs> I can I ask you about Len Thompson? Um, so do you have a strong connection um, with Len, watching him play? And, and I know you performed at his funeral. It was an emotional and, and brilliant tribute to the man. Yeah, we were very good friends. We've been friends for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, I met Len when he was a teenager, and we were going out with... Uh, he was a fraction older than me, about a year. Yeah. Um, we were both going out with uh, two girls from Essendon, and uh, I was going out with a, with a girl called Bray, and he was going out with a girl called Julie, and we both ended up marrying the girls, mm -hmm. and uh, they were best friends, and we married besties. Oh, good, yeah. And uh, we became very good friends. When he was a teenager... He played football and I played music, and he was about as interested in my music as I was in his football. Okay, yeah. But um, on Sundays, we'd quite often have a barbecue, and there are a couple of other big stars, including the captain, Wayne Richardson, and Graham Jenkins, uh, Jerker, they used to call mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And we'd often go and have a barbecue together. Uh, the, um, and it was interesting because we, 
It was good for them because we didn't talk about football. It was good for me because we didn't talk about music. Yeah. Um, we were just mates. And yeah. I used to say, sometimes I'd stay at Len's place if we'd had a couple of drinks, mm-hmm. which Len was fond of doing. Um, and uh, and I was too, being in a band. Um, and we, you know, we became lifelong friends. And that's why, that was the reason the family asked me to sing at his funeral. It wasn't really just to do with football. Yeah. Um, but uh, I loved Len. He was a very misunderstood person. He was a good father and a really good, kind man. And Footy didn't really do him a great deal. You know, he was one of those players that didn't really um, kick on after football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before I ask you about your, your work in the media and radio, h- how many grand finals all up have you performed at? Do you, do you know the number? Well, I looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> I looked it up on um, the computer the other day yeah. and they've got me down for about five or six, but I've done five or six in this decade. Yeah, I, you've done more than that. Uh, um, so it's a lot more. Yeah. I think it's probably 15. 15, yeah. Um, um, but they don't give me... The, the the VFL always said, you know, like the year that John Farnham did it originally, mm-hmm. in 1979, um, they always used to say John Farnham was the singer. And even now, it's funny, they call their entertainment the headliners that they get, you know, yeah. whoever it is this year. And um, I saw a thing, someone speculated they might have Wolf Mother or whether they've got um, meatloaf or whether they've got Sting, hmm. they're the headliners and I'm just part of what they call the on-ground. Yeah, I, I did say um, that. Yeah. They're the headliners and yeah. I'm the on-ground. Yeah. Um, I always find that quite pretty odd. Yeah. Um, so I got left off the list for a lot of the ones that I did, like 1999 I did it um, and that wasn't on the list. And, and there's quite a lot that I did over a few years which I did with other people and, um, uh, you know, various artists and stuff like that. So I, I reckon it's probably 15. Yeah, yeah. We need to look into that. It's, that's disrespectful, I reckon, not to have you down as doing more. So we'll definitely look into yeah. that, Mike. Um, yeah, I've actually had a word about that. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Good. But, um, you know, I do think I'm part of the entertainment. I'm not, um, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that I'm not part of the entertainment. Uh, not that they do say that, but quite often I don't even get mentioned in yeah. the press release, you know. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, uh, I understand that, you know. I mean, you can't control everything, but I reckon I've paid my dues. Oh, 100%. 100%. You also paid your dues on radio. I think it was, was it 17, 18 years you had, um, you worked with uh, uh, Mike Till Midnight. You did your radio show. And I remember you saying, um, you said that you thought you knew a lot about radio before working in the industry. But in reality, you actually didn't. So how was it stepping in? Well, it, it was really interesting because I brought it up almost like a joke. Yeah. The program manager at Trade W, it was at the time, um, was, uh, was Clark Forbes. And I used to give him a little story now and again. And I'd given him this story and I said, oh, I should be on your station. Yeah. And he said, oh, do you want to be? And I said, oh, I haven't given it any thought. He said, well, we've got an opening for you. What about the week after next? Yeah, And I said, okay. So I'd never done radio other than interviews. And I turned up and I was laughing with the person who became my first guest on radio. And we used to talk real estate for the first hour. And he said I would sweat in the first month or two, buckets of sweat, yeah. of perspiration, because I was so nervous. Yeah. Um, and I really didn't expect it. But I thought I might last a month. Mm. But it lasted 17, 17 years. Well, it was into its 18th year 18, okay, yeah. when they decided to drop the program, which, you know, um, was their prerogative if it's their radio station. <laughs> yeah. See, what, who was your biggest influence, do you reckon, uh, working in radio? Um, I didn't try to be like anybody else. Mm-hmm. In fact, I purposely tried to be a little bit different. Yeah. I tried to be very warm to the audience because I realised that on a Saturday night when I was on, that there are a lot of people listening that were lonely. There are a lot of people that had disabilities. There are a lot of people who 
went to bed with the radio on, mm. listening to me. I used to say, I used to sleep with men and women on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they'd listen to it and fall asleep. Yeah. Um, that's how good the content was. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and and I, uh, uh, I knew that I wanted to be friendly. I wanted to be sincere and be myself. Mm. Um, and, you know, I did other programs where I had to be a bit more outspoken, have an opinion on everything, but I just tried to be warm and um, warm up their lives. It was, you know, I had people like Billy Pennell on with me for years. Um, Caroline Ferguson was on for a long time. Chris Ryan, uh, Alan Howe from the, um, well, originally from the Sunday Herald Sun, was the editor. And then, um, you know, I had a lot of very good guests. Uh, who were very loyal to the program. And it became a little club. Mm. Uh, and it rated very, very well. Yeah. I've no idea what it rates like now. But um, <clears throat> I've heard a few rumours. Yeah. But uh, it's a different program now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you've written a few jingles in your time as well. Uh, and I know you wrote Lucky You're with Amy. Uh, was, there's others, other ones as well. Can you tell us some of your famous jingles you've written? I've written about 10,000. Okay, so yeah. I always... Um, we'll just name 9,000 of them then. <laughs> I forget, but going back to the early days, the first one that really got noticed was Hard Yakka. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. When, um, when I did... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that sort of opened the door for me. And then I did lots of different companies and, um, you know, from... Uh, brashes, remember stores like Brashes mm -hmm. and McEwen's and yep. um, and then um, uh, Mad Things by SPC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. SPC, they think it's significant. They yeah. think it's mad. Boy, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Internet that flies at 9.90 nine per month. Connect yourself with Dodo. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, Arnott's, I sang a lot to Arnott's for um, another writer. Mm. I didn't really write many of the Arnott things, but I wrote, the, you can't be the sayo for a snack. Lucky you're with Amy, I've been away sailing, and the mast snaps at the top, and the, um, the captain, it was my boat, but the captain of the boat came up from down below because he heard all the commotion on yeah. deck, and he said, anybody killed? And I said, no. Is anybody hurt? And I said, no. And he said, oh, well, you kind of had bad luck and went back to bed <laughs> um, while we cleaned the mess up. Yeah. And then, blow me down, two weeks later, I was in Melbourne and um, got asked to write. And they said, well, what about Amy? Because you can't help bad luck. And mm. they said, no, too long. This is my colleague, Noel Jolbridge. He said, um, it's too long. I said, well, just lucky you're with Amy. Yeah. And that's how that came about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I still do occasionally, uh, do a jingle occasionally for different things and don't sing them very much these days. Um, and, and that was my main job for many of those years. After um, I started, which was probably in about 19, I'd been entertaining in Vietnam. And so about 1969, I started singing other people's jingles and gradually got to sing my own. And um, right up till 1979, um, it was a huge business. After 79, it diminished a little bit because I became um, I became uh, known as a anthem writer up there because they typecast me. So I lost a lot of the instrumental work that I won a lot of awards for. A lot yeah. of my work was instrumental. Um, and gradually over the years, it started to drop off a bit. The singles diminished anyway, you know. But um, it was it was a good living and it was very good to me. Yeah, yeah. You've also written a fair few songs as well. Obviously, uh, your latest album, uh, Bloodlines. You've got a new single as well. When I was young, and a new song titled "The Dishonored." Um, just a little bit different up there, Kazali. Can you tell us about those? <laughs> Sorry, I've laughed over you saying just a little different. Um, well, I've got a friend because I live in regional Victoria, and I've got a friend who's a, a Danish gentleman yeah. called Michael Michael Hansen, as he would be. Yeah. And um, he goes under the name of Falmer. Yep. He's a he's really a dance and electronic music 
um, performer. And uh, he asked me if I'd do all the voices on this. He writes fairly dark music, mm-hmm. and I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, and I've been to a couple of his concerts. Um, so we did that, and it's very, very dark. It's a long, long film clip. Yeah. But, um, uh, and we filmed it down my way. And, and we're now we're working with uh, internationally with someone in Denmark, a couple in Australia, and one in New York. And we're doing a, an opera mm. um, together. It's a modern opera and I'm doing the narrations and some of the voices and stuff like that so yeah I stay active I still write a lot you know and um, I haven't been that motivated during the lockdown I have to say mm. but um, it's only that I haven't, I've hardly touched the guitar but I've still been writing writing a few stories and um, I'm working on a film script at the moment and, you know I, I stay relatively active I've I've working on a new brand idea of something, nothing to do with music. Um, I've always been a creative person, and um, which is probably why I'm a bit vague sometimes. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to hear you, you keeping busy because during these times it's, it's hard sometimes. We've got to keep active and keep our mind working, um, especially while we're locked up True. in the house. Yeah. Um, we normally end up with uh, 10 quick-fire questions just to get a little bit uh, more about you. Is that okay if I go through 10 with you quickly here? Sure, sure. Okay, Mike, what is your favourite food? Chinese, Asian, all oh, Asian. Nice. Your favourite band? Um, I, I've always liked, and I haven't been around a long time, but I've loved the energy and the musicianship and the showmanship of the living end in oh, Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice. And what is your favourite song? Favourite song? Now, that's a really, really difficult thing. Mm. But I reckon that it would be somewhere between the living years, which is pretty old now. Um, and I'm not a giant fan of a lot of modern music, but um, uh, I'm a big fan of Linda Ronstadt, so I reckon that her Still Within the Sound of My Voice is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Um, and another female, Bonnie Raitt, that I can't make you lovely. Like, I can't make you lovely. I can't make you lovely. Mm. It's a beautiful ballad. I like ballads. I like sad ballads. I'm only sad. I'm only happy when I'm sad. <laughs> Very good. Who inspires you? Inspires me. Yeah. Um, in entertainment, I love people that overcome difficulties. Oddly enough, I don't like them much as a singer. I. Not really into a music, but I'm inspired by the sheer tenacity and front and confidence of Kylie Minogue. Mm. She started with very, very average talent and just stuck to it and was focused on what she needed to do. I find her story quite inspirational. Mm. You know, it's a pretty average voice, I reckon. She probably <laughs> hates it here, that, but I still really admire what she did. Um, and I suppose people, um, I, I, I stick with the Australian team. I always loved Jess and John, you know, who had um, a very huge disability, but I still reckon his song Big Time Operator was one of the best songs ever done in Australia. Um, and you know, anyone that's overcome difficulty and become a star despite all the, all the setbacks, and to become a star in Australia, you've got to work really hard. But for those who really work the smoky, beer-stinking, um, you know, music um, bands, um, I really admire them to have stuck at it and come out. Joe Camilleri, wow, Ross Wilson, people like that. Yeah. Who's your favourite footy player of all time? Of all time? Well, uh, I'd have to say Gary Ablett Jr. Yeah probably in my mind was the greatest because he was so good I mean his father was unbelievable but um, he was I'm I'm not a a Geelong supporter but um, just extraordinary how he was able to overcome his dad alone the talent of his dad the reputation of his dad you know and he's a a pretty fair player too yeah your favourite movie 
Um, the Thin Red Line. Okay. Uh, because it's an anti-war film. Yeah. With with a uh, with the beautiful use of music, mm-hmm. and I'd say second to that would be the mission. Uh, if you had to write another footy jingle now, what would it be about? Um, it would be about the fans and their loyalty, mm-hmm. Good. and what, and it would treat the fans with enormous respect. Um, up there, Kazali's a little bit like that, but um, I get sent a lot of football songs from people, and quite often they overlook if the human element of football. It's um, uh, the players are great and they get paid to do great things and they do do great things. Um, but the fans are the people that I'm really fascinated with. Yeah, yeah I love that. Uh, what, uh, sorry, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Probably the very south of France, near Colios, okay. which oh. is down on the Spanish border. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of good music. Um, it's a beautiful place, unbelievable climate, great wine. Um, and you can go to Spain for the day and you can be in Spain in an hour, half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I've spent a lot of time in France and that's the place that I really do love the most. Brilliant. Uh, your favourite quote? Um, I can't repeat it because it's from the movie The Terminator <laughs> when Arnie Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger <laughs> gets in the truck and the truck driver's looking at him saying, what the... And he goes, he, he says, in, in a less polite white word, uh, nick off um, something or other. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love it. But I, there are lots of... There are so many quotes. Um, uh, the one that was attributed to Winston Churchill when he was asked why was he still funding the arts during the Second World War, and he said, well, I sometimes think that if we didn't have art, what would we be fighting for? So culture and art, if we didn't have our culture and art, why would we be fighting? Mm-hmm. It's a very good point. Yeah, I like that. Yep. The last one, what is the highlight of your career? I think the highlight was singing at the 1979 grand final. I've sung in front of bigger crowds than that, 100,000. So it's not the size of the crowd, it's the reaction from the crowd. Yeah. And as I said, it made me feel... But it was such, it was such a sweet thing, because I wasn't trying to have a hit record. You know, we, the song was done in a TV commercial. I didn't even know it was a hit record. I was in France with my family. Mm. Um, and the late Don Tudor rang me up from Buckingham Palace, where he was getting an MBE, which is pretty big deal, um, to tell me... So we had a number one record, and I didn't even know. It was fantastic. Um, uh, it had already broken all the records, so yeah. uh, in terms of you know um, sales and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it was that that 1979 grand final. It was a big thrill to be out there and recognised. But you know, when I weren't given up on a recording career years before, yeah. years before, <laughs> and then suddenly having a a huge hit there was a great irony to it <laughs> oh, that's great well the highlight um, of my career it, speaking to you is definitely up there so I really can't thank you enough for, for coming on today um, it isn't September without Mike Brady so I'm glad we all got an extra special dose of Mike Magic on today's podcast I'm so grateful to get the chance to speak to you thank you so much Mike Brady uh, my, my pleasure Jim and uh, good luck with the podcast um, and uh I'll be watching out for you and spreading the word best I can. Thank you, mate. Yes, Jimmy! All right, guys, it's time for everybody's favourite part of the show. It's my favourite too. I get to speak to my best mate. Uh, Nico, here we go. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. What do you got this week? Jimmy, it's good to be back as always. Yeah. And um, yeah, this week, this week I'm, I'm going to try and be short and sweet here. Oh, that's something different. Um, yeah, for, for a change. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's that time of the year. Um, we're heading into finals now, the business end. We are. 
Obviously, the supporters of the eight teams competing are obviously very excited. Mm -hmm. And the supporters of the 10 other rejected teams, the team's not good enough, don't have much to look forward to, like myself, Mm. except for the draft coming up. But the draft this year is going to look a bit different because the first time in, I think, in AFL's history, there's going to be a team that finished in finals uh, to get the number one draft pick. And it's been spoken about a lot this year. The Bulldogs have priority over Jamara Ugelhagen, mm-hmm. who's tipped to go at number one. And um, obviously, he's a Bulldogs uh, Academy product. So they get priority. And I just, I, I mean, for the AFL, who just, they preach on having an equal competition. And the draft is pretty much based around equality. Um, they're going to allow the dogs to have the number one pick, even though they're making finals. And I just don't see any sense in that. And they haven't either. And they've already made a change to it for next year. They they don't want any club to have um, priority over academy plays in the first two rounds, which it should be. That that makes sense. But by the time that comes in, the damage is already done. Adelaide deserve the number one pick. They're not going to get it. Um, this kid's likened to the likes of Buddy Franklin and Adelaide should have the right to get him, but they're not going to. And every other team in the top 10 are going to be pushed back one spot. So, yeah, I, I just I can't believe they're allowing, allowing this to go through. I'm a bit late on speaking about it, but um, as we're heading into finals, uh, I just thought I'd give something else to chat about considering there's uh, 10 other groups of supporters of clubs who don't get to look forward to finals. <laughs> Bang. There you go. Well, yeah. What do you, what do you got to say yeah. to them, Nick? Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. Nick off. There it is. Get Bang. out of here. Get out of here. I don't yeah. know. It's been happening for a while, Nick. I mean, we had we had compromised drafts when, with Gold Coast and GWS as well. I mean, it's never been fair, really. And we also... Did. There was reasons for that. And obviously, yeah. Sydney have... Um, They've, they've had a lot of players come through their ranks as well, like Heaney and, yeah. you know, Alan Mills and all that. But to, for it to happen so high up in the draft, number one, it was, it was about to happen. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. And, I t- well, I was just going to say, Nico, um, I haven't talked about it much, obviously, because I think when your team's in finals, you kind of forget about the draft. But, um, exactly. Yeah, you wouldn't, yeah. You wouldn't know the feeling. Uh, no, but it's happened in other years. I mean, it, it just hasn't been a number one pick. So, if, again, if it was a pick around, like, 12 or 13 like it has been in the past no one's really going to speak about it are they They're just like oh you, you know whatever it is what it is yeah. but because it's number uh, one now it's become a talking point so of I get... course well it, it's it was like i said it's a mistake waiting to happen yeah it shouldn't happen and bulldogs i mean it's not like i mean there's a reason why um the giants and gold coast and sydney had academy players first because you know they're, they're based in those cities and probably um suffer a lot from players wanting to return home from Victoria and all that sort of stuff. So, But the Bulldogs, it shouldn't affect them. So I don't understand why they're allowing this to go well, through. The dogs are going to say he's only that good because he was part of our academy. That's why he's number one. That's what they're going to say. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah you I'm, know. Sure. I'm sure. I, I, I think it's unfair on Adelaide and every other team. Yeah, I, I just think the draft needs to be revamped completely man you can't have at the end of the season having teams that are happy to lose and they want to finish last or finish lower so they can get a better draft pick i just hate it it's just exactly yeah, we can't uh, have that I'm, man. De- I'm definitely for the lottery draft yeah lottery NBA. draft has to be because then you get crap like this i just don't like it yeah if yeah. we if we had the lottery um, draft if we had the lottery draft anyway i don't think there's a huge there wouldn't be talked about this anyway that he's going to go at number 1 and he's going to go to the doggies i think eh, whatever either way i think well, you make yeah. a fair you make a fair point nick i like it thank you it's good to see that you agree with me sometimes sometimes yes. sometimes it's because we've been apart from each other for a long time and you know what nick before i let you go i got a couple yep. i got a couple messages this week that said they were looking they were gone back in the archives of the footy mates podcast and they were listening to some classic episodes and they want to know are we getting back together behind the mic when we get back into you know normal life Oh, the band coming back together. Yeah, do you reckon? Um, or do you reckon we're better apart and you just come on for a little segment? Oh, I think we'd wait for a proper announcement to be made, an official announcement. But I, w- I won't say that it's not impossible. There is a possibility there. 
So yeah, just to keep just to keep fans on the hook. That's uh, true. Stay tuned. All right, I'll speak with your manager, and we'll see what we can do. All right, Nico, thank you very much. Um, I'll Thanks, speak to James. you. I'll speak to you next week, mate. No, it's as good as always to be on this show, so thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries, mate. See ya. Nick off. Yes, Jimmy! All right, brilliant. It's time to get to some tweets and emails, as we do every week. Hashtag the gym session, or send an email to james.sabo at sportsmatemobile.com. Got a few, especially after Rexy's interview last week, which was fantastic. Thanks to him again for jumping on, and thanks to everyone who... Um, tweeted in or emailed in and um, enjoyed the interview. Got one from Scott Cormie who emailed in. He said, Hi, Jim. Golden advice from a legend. I got the message. Cheers. That was awesome, Jim. Thank you, Scott. I got the message too. It was brilliant. I really appreciate that. Another uh, another message from Nicolucho Carafa. Be yourself. Don't give a rat's toss. Don't worry about offending people. This is how you find your true followers. That's true, and that's what Rex was preaching last week. Angela Carafa. Passion, love, and self-belief. Once you reach the stage in your life when you don't give a rat's toss about what people say or think about you, you have reached the pinnacle of life. Podcast, well worth listening to. Love that, Jimmy. Well done. Thank you, Angela. Got a tweet as well, um, not to do with Rex Hunt. It was from Nathan Weller, and he tweeted me. He said, hey, at Sabo James, do you think Harley Bennell is now out of chances? I'm shocked at his decision to break the bubble restrictions, even when Melbourne was still a finals chance. He is cooked. Um, you know what? I don't like speaking personally about players, but um, whether there's factors around his decision, but he broke protocols and he's had three chances. And look, it looks like career over, doesn't it? You know, it's important to have the right people at your club because how important is reputation, the culture, respect? It's so important. So you need to select the people wisely at your club, and I don't. I think you've run out of chances. I think you're right, Nath. It, it's a shocking decision to break um, to break the the protocols when you've had that chance. You should be. I mean, if you've given if you've given an opportunity to get back to a club, no matter what's happened, mate. Like it's just you just can't be doing those things. So you're putting your whole team at risk, um, not just because of the the, the breaches, but because you, you harm the culture and you, you harm in the the people around you. I don't know. I think it, it, it's his third chance. It's a fifty thousand dollar fine. He's suspended for four games, but I, I'm I've got a feeling he's going to be um, without a club for a while now, uh, which is a shame. It's a huge shame because he's such a great talent. But that's the thing. I mean, it's not just about talent. We've spoken about it how many times. If you've got enough talent to make an AFL club, that's not all that is important. That's why there's interviews, and that's why some people don't make it um, to AFL land, even though they've got the skills, because it's everything that goes with it. You've got to have the right mindset. You've got to have the right respect. You've got to have the right culture. Um, and unfortunately, Harley has let himself down and he let the club down. So not good. Speaking of Melbourne, I wanted to go through quickly uh, the teams who didn't make finals because we've got a heap of time to speak about the others, the top eight. Obviously, they'll get spoken about. But this is the last one. This is the last time we're going to speak about the clubs that didn't make the eight. And I'll go through a positive and a negative from each club. So it you know, balances out. Adelaide first, the positives. Obviously, final few games of the season, they look like they had a clear game plan and style. They played with more confidence, a lot more possession, and they were very exciting from the half-back line when they ran off the half-back flank and created opportunities. I thought they were good. They found some youngsters as well, Scholl, Hamill, Himmelberg, Schoenberg, McPherson. The future looks bright, at least, and that second half of the season, so that's the positives. The negatives were they won zero games from their first 13. That was horrendous. Um, yeah, a few lifeless performances, and they only really looked connected or happy once they started winning. Which goes without saying, you're like, yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, fair enough, it's obvious. But um, you know, when you're winning, it's easy to be connected and happy with your teammates. So it'll be testing again at the start of the season if they start to lose a few um, as well. But in saying that, they, that a full preseason will be good for the Crows because they didn't really have that one, and with all the um, uh, the protocols and all the things they had to do, they weren't allowed to train with each other as much as they would have liked. So the chemistry was obviously a problem. Next year, I still think they'll be near the bottom, but they'll be improved, no doubt. Uh, North Melbourne, a club, I don't think they're going to improve that much. You look at the positives for this, there wasn't much at all. Like, they did show some aggression. They dominated clearances and contested ball in those three wins they had. And they showed some shin bonus spirit, I guess, in patches. But really, when you look at the negatives, you probably look and tick the whole entire season as a negative. The injuries hurt, yes, no doubt. But it was just way too easy for teams to keep possession off North. And they finished the season worst 
in the AFL for points scored and conceded from turnovers. So it just proves they couldn't win the ball back. They need to find a clear strategy. They like you can win the inside ball and clearances. That's great. But once you you, you can't do anything post clearance, that's the problem. So next year, I, I still think they're about 18th, 17th. Horrific season for North. That is a big F failure. Sydney Swans are next. They're 16th. They finished 16th. The positives. Um, they're still continuing with that quickest rebuild ever. They've won some big games um, in the past. Buddy played zero games. Heaney played six. Rampy 11 and Kennedy 12. And without those stars, the youngsters still stood up. I thought they were great. Rowbottom was fantastic. Blakey was good. Papley, at the end of the season, he dropped off a little bit. But all those young stars... Um, they've got a lot of years left in, in their footy. They're looking very, very dangerous. And they're playing a faster style this year. So they're taking it on through the middle of the middle of the ground. Corridor usage went up a whole heap. So I thought pressure was good all season as well. So there's there's definitely positive signs there for the Swannies. Negatives. Uh, pressure was good, but they were a little bit reactive. So, you know, they lost the clearances and contested ball in every game except for five. And um, the inside 50 count, they only won three times out of 17. So they need to obviously work on their stoppage their stoppage game and their forward structure, which is going to help, obviously, when Buddy's back and their stars are back. But I think that was a real negative um, in terms of not generating enough inside 50s and uh, contested ball and post clearance wasn't too good. Very reactive. The Hawks, um, positives is the season is over. Uh, Clarko proved... Uh, positive is Clarko did prove that his comments hold a lot of weight. He has the ability to change the competition. In a single press conference, which was amazing and staggering in the AFL. Um, where are we? Uh, Tom Mitchell was back. He recorded 100 disposals, more than any other Hawks player. So obviously him back in the side, his influence is huge. So that's a positive to take away, I guess. Scrimshaw, he established himself. It was fantastic. And Will Day is probably the biggest positive of the entire Hawthorne season because it's a youngster that's finally coming up from the draft, believe it or not. And uh, you know, he's playing some good footy. He played, he played to me impressive footy this year. So going forward, um, I think that's great. And they used 40 players this season. So they've given some experience to some of the youngsters, which they haven't in the past. Some negatives, I don't know where you begin with this, but they used to be a team, Hawthorne, that was hard to score against. Um, but in 2020, they ranked 16th in the competition for scores against. So the defensive work that was high class and stingy and they didn't allow opponents to get a good run on, that just faded away in 2020. And they ended up in the bottom three for scores against from turnover and stoppages and in pressure as well. They didn't really embrace the hub life, you know. Showed a little bit of mental weakness, I thought. They didn't, from the start, they weren't happy to be there. They showed they weren't happy to be there and they played like they weren't happy to be there. Um, they also started the season with seven players over 30. So it's a big transition here, obviously. Um, so we'll see what Clarko can do. I mean, he might pull something out of the hat for next season, but obviously you're missing... Uh, a few of them will, will go. It's not just going to be Poppy and Stratton that leave. Obviously, there'll be a couple more, I think, and, and it, it'll be a big list turnover. Gold Coast, positives. Um, the recruits were fantastic. Obviously, Brandon Ellis and Hugh Greenwood were great from other clubs, but you've got Matt Rowe, Noah Anderson, and Flanders, who all stepped in and played a... a a good role. Um, ben, I hate that word. He played your role, but it's true they did. Uh, ben King, Jack Lacocious, and Rankin, who weren't recruits this year, but they're youngsters still, and they've proved that the scouting was right, and they do fit into the mold. And hopefully, I mean, the future looks looks great, but you hope that they stay together, and it doesn't. You know, that's that's the thing. Player retention is the only problem for um, for Gold Coast. Really, they played some good footy, and their percentage they had a percentage of ninety this season which was a big improvement from 60. About It was around about 60 last season. You go to the negatives. Um, they, couldn't really for, first, they couldn't really force turnovers all season. They were good at winning the footy, but when they didn't, they couldn't really get it back. And they conceded way too many inside 50s because of it, and they were bottom three for disposal. So they dropped away, uh, they dropped away late in the season too, and um, they need to make sure, like I said, they stick together don't have the same thing happen every season where players leave but if they can keep that core group together there is no reason why they can't um, be a contender in a couple of years I mean the quality there if everything goes to plan you know they look dangerous Essendon positives god not not a lot youngsters progressed a few of them Ridley won the best and fairest which is fantastic uh, great season perfect interceptor just um, brilliant I think one of the only positives along with Andy McGrath who was good and Sam Draper so I guess you know the youngsters stepping up is a positive to take away but there's negatives there's so many negatives to go through I'll be quick but culture problem easy losses they don't look connected 
other teams look like. You know, they'd walk over glass for their teammates. The Dons don't. They don't look like that. They don't look like they're playing for their mates. Players want out too. Fantasia, Danaher, Saad. They look like they've no faith in Rutten. You know, and also, the, the farewell game, Pell Chambers should have had a farewell game. And fair enough to him, I, I say, well done, mate, that he didn't get selected first. And the players went to the, to the um, went and complained. And then they said, oh, no, no, we'll give Bell Chambers a game. And he said, no, 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 I don't want a charity game. Good. Stuff ya. As if you wouldn't give him a, a farewell game. Man, that just shows there's a problem there. And they need to do a lot over the summer to get things right. Um, definitely. Line in the sand, I reckon, this summer. You say, you don't want to be here, piss off. They need to start something fresh. And I really hope Rappin is the man. Because a lot of a lot of supporters don't have faith in him. And I don't really have faith in him either, to be honest, from what I've seen. Frio, um, positives, new coach, newfound energy. It was good. The fifth, they were best, uh, fifth, fifth best defense in the comp. Um, they didn't concede big scores all season, and they stayed in the cons- contest majority of games because of that. Um, Tabernacle was good. He hit the goal nearly every every round or every game. Um, Fife was playing good footy. Brayshaw coming of age. Adam Chera, Caleb Sarong. They supported Monday in the middle, and there's a lot of upside. And Justin Longmuir is my favorite coach. I love the way he talks doesn't get overawed with emotion, and he's very respectful. I mean, that might change because coaches start like that, and then, you know, it's a, it's a very hard job on the emotion, so we'll see what happens in the future. But so far, he's my new favourite coach, Justin. I love him. So good on the Dockers for what they've been able to achieve. A couple of negatives. They couldn't really kick a score. It was very much defence-focused. They ranked 16th in the AFL for points scored. The 17th from side 50. So, you know, you know, the stoppage work isn't fantastic. They don't win a lot of clearances. So they're obviously trying to work it out from the back half majority of the game. But they, they do have a good defense. So if they can work on the stoppage work over the summer, work on getting the ball forward and, and movement from the back, there's no reason why they can't... They're not going to make the eight. But there's no reason they can't knock off a few big teams again. Um, Carlton... Geez, the positives, I guess the contested work was good. Um, the top five in the AFL for contested possessions and top three for contested marks. So they upped their work in the contest. A bit harder. Um, they had some good targets up forward. Harry Mackay, Kaz Bolton. When Charlie Kerner comes back, they will be incredibly dangerous. It's also good to see Sam Doherty return and have a solid year. And Jacob Wiedering had an All-Australian year. So that was fantastic as a whole. And those were the, those were the positives. Negatives. I mean, they couldn't stop opposition getting on runs, and that that really cost them. If you want to put it, there's, there's a whole range of things that cost them, but that's the biggest one because too many times they let teams get on runs. They had a shocking start. Nine times during the season, they conceded runs of five or more consecutive goals. That's what cost you games. Slow starters as well, especially in the second half of the season. So if they, they can fix that up, I mean, they need to find a way to stop those runs. It's easier said than done because momentum's a killer. But, uh, yeah, big ne- negative for Carlton. GWS, we're nearly there, guys. GWS, positive. The season's over. Really, that is the worst grand final hangover since Adelaide. They were fishing up forward when they went there, especially in the first half of the season, which kept them in games. But, they, you know, the contested work was good in patches, but it was inconsistent. They had one good win, really, against Richmond. But the negatives, oh, where do you begin? There was no spirit, no fight in a lot of those games. And Friday night was the biggest... Um, indicator of that. The season was on the line. They had they had a heap of chances before that game. But when the season's on the line, especially at half time, you sit there and, and you know, I don't know what's said, but if, if you've got this is the last chance, guys. You want to play finals, any slim chance of playing finals, you win the game where you go out there and give everything you've got after half time. They kick zero goals. There's too many times this season that happened. They couldn't generate enough inside 50s. They looked a little bit selfish, and they're not just my words. Spread the Lidio came out, who was part of the club, and said that. And uh, I don't know if too many people are happy happy with Leon Cameron at the moment. They're all fantastic players, there's no doubt about that. But as a unit, I don't know if that grand final killed them, but, geez, it's, it's been a disappointing season for the Giants. Last one on the list is Melbourne. Positives, they contest the ball, and it's always been high. I mean, they've been fantastic with winning the ball. It's just what they do after it, and the connection. The forward 50 isn't always great. But in saying that back six was more settled this season, they've got May, Lever, Hibbert, Salem. They were playing good footy and they played a lot of games together. So that was a positive. And then they did win a couple of, you know, I wouldn't call them, um, 
emotionally lifting wins or, you know, um, hard-fought wins at the end of the season that kind of gave supporters hope. I never really thought they'd make finals, to be honest. I never thought they deserved it. Um, I think a little, uh, a lot of people overreact about Melbourne. I don't think they're as good as people are saying. I mean, they, they, they probably deserve just to miss the... That's where they are. They're not, they're not a team that it's just one little pre-season and you go, here they go going to be back I don't know I mean they need to find so the negatives you need, you need a forward forward line they don't kick goals they struggle to find targets inside they throw random plays in there and expect them to kick a score um, they need a forward and they need a forward now if they want to be successful and I need a drink now because that's another pod done and dusted I really appreciate you listening in uh, please subscribe give it a rating um, use the hashtag hashtag the gym session please get involved in the show let me know what you thought um, abuse me if you like I'm happy to debate all those things I said about the teams that missed out uh, next week I want to focus on the top eight that'll be good we'll try and get another super guest um, on the podcast guys I had a lot of fun doing this I hope you had fun listening and I hope you have a fun week off footy I'll be back next Tuesday to pump you up for finals and like I always say until next time Please take care of yourselves. Nick off.